Romans chapter 12, starting verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. That's it. Lord, we do come before you, and you are full of majesty, and you are the chain breaker. Father God, I pray your Holy Spirit descend on us today. Break every chain. Flood us with your mercy. And we love you and praise you, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. 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 Why don't you have a seat? Thank you, Janice. I appreciate your serving us today. Well, grab a Bible, put one finger in Romans 12, but then I'll also need you to put another finger over in the writings of Peter. We'll kind of be going back and forth between Romans and 1 Peter uh, today. And, you know, we're in a little mini-series. We'll be taking up the book of Daniel uh, for the summer. So go ahead and read Daniel. Daniel, you'll have this experience. Oh, I forgot how this starts. Yeah. And then you'll have a couple chapters of, I know these stories. These stories are veggie tales. And then you'll have like the back half of it where you're like, I had not remembered that Daniel was this complicated. And so we'll, um, we'll uh, deal with all of that this summer. Looking forward to it. But, um, but we're having a little mini series just about leadership. It's the time in our, our church calendar where we're in nominating and whatever. But aside from that, we're just at a season in our church where we're praying that God would grow leaders from us. And last week, we kind of had two images that we revolved around. We were, the first was a target, that, 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 that the first thing about leaders is that they have Christ-like character, that it's not expertise or silver tongue or good with their hands or whatever that might make a leader have, you know, success in one field or another, but rather what makes us ready to lead in the context of the body of Christ is a character like Paul and Timothy. So, and while we're not all going to end up in church leadership, that kind of Christian character should be the target for all of us. We should wake up today and, and go, hey, 
Man, I, I hope I'm more like Jesus than I was yesterday. I'll even say this. As we're pursuing Christ-like character, we're pursuing the real us. Like one of my goals, if you were going to ask me like what, what I want to happen when I take my last breath here, like I would really love to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Like that is a huge motivator for me. Also, I want to be as much like the real Grant the day before I die as the day after I die. I want to like recognize myself in heaven. I don't want to spend my whole life pursuing earthly things that just don't matter at all, but rather I want to get to heaven and be like, wow, this is where my character was headed already. Like the me that I was really designed to be, that's what I'm pursuing here on earth. So target, and that we should all, it's, it's not about being on a leadership team, although as we all pursue that target, the other image that we kind of had was a garden that what naturally happens in a healthy church is that we grow leaders. Because if we're all pursuing Christ-like character, well, that's going to be the kind of environment where grace and forgiveness and love abound and people are going to grow into leadership. So that was kind of last week, Target and Garden. Today I'd like to put a new picture um, in your head and it is, it's, it's the picture of this right here. And this is you, and I'll talk about it in a minute. But what can you tell about this by, by just looking at it? It's a puzzle piece. You probably got that. You wouldn't have any idea puzzle piece to what. It kind of looks like water. Um, if, if we were going to look at it, it's white and blue. It's probably not a tree. But just looking at this puzzle piece, it's really hard to ascertain the purpose of this puzzle piece. You with me? You can't get there from just there. If this puzzle piece is looking for meaning and purpose, studying itself is going to have some benefit. But really, it needs to know how it fits in to the big picture. And so I'd like for us to think about puzzles and puzzle pieces today. We're going to move. We're going to continue to talk about this idea that leadership is simply what happens when the church understands itself, when we that are in the church have a proper understanding, a proper theology of the church, well, then we develop leaders. When we move from consumers of religious services to a scriptural call to be a living temple, we get healthier. All of us get healthier, and we help each other get healthier, and we develop Leaders not only in our generation, but in the one coming behind us. So Janice just read to you some amazing words that Paul spoke to the church in, in Romans and, and, or in Rome, and uh, there were a list of things. And I kind of want to end here today. In, um, in 30 minutes, who are we kidding? Um, <laughs> but in a little while... I would like for you to think about preaching, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and practical care. These are the things that Paul said. Well, then there's other lists like it, but you get the point that Paul is saying, look, you're a puzzle piece that fits in somewhere. You need to figure out what your puzzle piece is. You need to go play your part. But if all we do is study ourselves we're going to know an awful lot about this puzzle piece, but really not very much about how we fit in to the big idea of what it means to be the church. So I'd like to end today by encouraging each of us to think about our role in the mission of the worldwide church and our local church. But we have to begin thinking through 
Ecclesiology. Say it with me, ecclesiology. There you go. You can impress your friends at work. Like, what did you guys do at church? Well, we discussed ecclesiology. And they'll be like, wow, you guys must be so smart at that church. Ecclesiology is just the study of what church is. What's it mean to be the church? What, what exactly is the church? We, we all know some things. The church is not a building. The church is not a voting block. The church is not um, a club. The church is not, uh, the, you know, like the Elks Lodge. So what does it mean to be the church? Because Romans 12, like 6 through 8, where we get uh, serving, preaching, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and practical care, those are built on the rest of the passage. It, that idea that we should find our place, our ministry, our piece of the puzzle, where we fit in in the body of Christ, that's built on the idea in verse 4 that we are a body. That we are not a bunch of individuals, but rather we are one thing, one organism working together. And that idea in verse 3 is that God has given us gifts that we, it's not just our natural ability, but rather God has gifted us to do these works. And that's built on verse 2, where actually it starts where we have a transformed mind. We stop thinking like just mere humans and we start thinking with the mind of Christ. And that is built on verse 1, um, that the proper act of spiritual worship for each of us is sacrifice and service. So we'll get to all that here in a minute. But the call to serve, the call to lead, the call to use our gifts to bless the church body is not the start of the argument. It's not the start of the discussion. Rather, serving, leading, is a natural byproduct of an understanding of not just my mission, but our mission. You with me? My mission is a function of our mission. Your mission is a function of our mission. You know, I love spiritual gift tests and stuff like that. I just lied in the pulpit. I don't really like spiritual gift tests. Um, and the reason is, I mean, they're fine. That's great if it gives you some purpose and like it starts a great discussion. But many times I hear people take some sort of spiritual gifting test and they feel like, man, I know exactly what my piece of the puzzle looks like. I just don't know how it fits into the whole thing. We're going to struggle with that at different stages of life too. Where you go, well, I used to know where I fit in the body of Christ. I used to know how I could lead and serve. But in this next stage, man, the kids are going 100 miles an hour. I no longer, I, I, I no longer know exactly where I fit in. Or the kids are gone and I don't have the energy I used to. And, and I'm not exactly sure now where I fit in. So it's one thing to know exactly how you're crafted and gifts that God's given you. But that's only going to be so helpful if we don't really understand what is the mission of the church. What are we all supposed to be doing? We have a part to play in the purpose of the church on earth, but first we need to understand the purpose of the church on earth. We are living bricks to a temple. We are one unique puzzle piece. There's great wisdom in figuring out what are your passions? What do you like to do? How much time do you have? What's, the, what's your life look like right now? And kind of figure yourself out. There's some... There's some good old individualism, like wisdom in that. But we can't start with what's the shape of me. We have to start with what's actually on the front of the puzzle. What actually is the church supposed to be doing? Anybody have a guess just from this? 
It's a golden retriever underwater. It's, it's, it's that. You'd never know just by looking at this. And I think the mission of the church, your mission as a part of the church, is very hard to figure out if you're just looking at yourself. But rather, we go, well, this is how I'm shaped and I see the picture. Now I'm starting to understand where I might fit in, how God might use me, where I might serve, where I might lead. So, ecclesiology. What's it mean to be part of the called out ones, the ones that God has called out from the world? Jesus said he would build his church. What was he going to build it for? Of course, this could take a lot of sermons to accomplish, but we only have our time this morning. I wonder if you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll look at what Peter has to say about this. And Peter um, is going to uh, latch on to some... uh, Hey, Phil, I can't make my uh, remote work, so... You know, good luck, man. Um, <laughs> Peter's going to latch on to some really familiar um, language that all of his readers would have understood very clearly, but it might take a minute for us to unpack. First Peter 2, 1 through 5. This is going to be familiar to you. You've heard it before. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And you got to go, why? I like all those things. Malice and slander is how I spend my lunch hour, right? Like just that's what I do. That's why we all, how are we going to be on Facebook without malice or slander? That's like the whole culture. Put away envy. The economy would collapse if I put envy away. No, no, no. I love these things. You're going to have to give me a good reason to put this stuff away. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in salvation. I don't need to grow up. I'm grown. I'm a man. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Okay, so it starts with, well, is God good? As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are living stones. So Jesus is this living stone that is building a new kind of temple. This is all temple imagery, building a new kind of temple, a spiritual temple that's been rejected by men, but precious and chosen um, in the sight of God. And you yourselves like living stones. So Jesus is the living stone. You are a living stone. Are you starting to find mission already? Like when we look at Jesus and go, whatever he is, that's the, the whole idea behind calling ourselves Christians, that we are doing all we can to be like Christ. Jesus is the living stone, and we come to him as little living stones. You, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands stands in Scripture. There's some Old Testament quoted that we'll get to in a minute. Drop down to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may claim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's what the front of the puzzle box is. This is what you and I are being, is living stones an acceptable place for the presence of God on earth. 
So it does start with all this temple imagery and temple imagery is always about God's presence. It's the temple was the place. We've done this before, but Eden was the temple. Abraham and his family was the temple. Um, The tabernacle was the temple. The temple was the temple. And then Jesus was the temple. And now we are the temple. And the big idea about temple imagery and the whole scripture is not that the temple is a perfect place, but the temple is the place where God and men dwell together. And that is us. Now, are you starting to get a sense of mission? Are you starting to get a sense of like, whatever my little quirky puzzle piece looks like, there is a big job to do and I could be part of that. Holy. Not only are we the place where men and God dwell together, but Peter says, no, you are holy. You are holy. Not you should be holy. He's going to say that too. You are holy, so you should be holy. But holy, before it is what we do, holy is what we are. We are separate. We are called out. We are the group within the group. I always explain holiness like this. There's like some Combs kids in the room today. They are holy to me. So if we have some sort of a natural disaster, if there's a big earthquake and all, I hope all of you get out of here just fine and are healthy. But I'm going to go find the Combs kids and make sure they're okay. Because they were holy to me. They're a group within the group. This is the image that God has for you. That you are holy to Him. Holy is what we are. So holy is what we should be. Our identity as the Holy One, our identity as saints should guide our behavior. In fact, that is probably always true. What you believed to be true about you is more important than your skill set. What you believe to be true about you is more important than what you're good at or what your passions are or your life situation. If you uh, got a letter in the mail that said, somebody did a DNA test and we just found out that you're 45th in line to be the king or queen of, pick your favorite country, Ethiopia. You'd probably go, I'm royalty. This changes everything about me. What I believe about myself, about who I am, is more important to my mission than my skill set. It's more important to my mission than the things I know how to do. It's more important to my mission than how much energy I have. Who I believe I am. You are holy. You have been called out. There is a we have a, a math teacher at Trinity that does a great job, and, and <clears throat> he had a student that did something exceptional, and I'm this kid's Bible teacher. They don't let me teach math. I don't know why. Um, but, uh, but his teacher printed out a made-up certificate and gave him a math award, right? Just a piece of paper said, Jameer gets a math award. And I have Jameer with all of his, the same classmates he has in, that, uh, in math in Bible, And Jameer lorded that math award over his peers for months. Like they would say something about athletics or whatever. And Jameer would say, well, maybe you should go get a math award and then we'll talk. That teacher was so skillful. He was saying something that he saw in Jameer that maybe Jameer didn't see in himself. And it changed the way Jameer felt about himself. And it changed the way Jameer saw himself. And I'll tell you what else. It changed the way his peers saw him. 
you get the holiness award. You are holy. And that is more important than your passions, your likes, the things you're good at. Now, you need to figure out your passions, your likes, the things you're good at, and how you fit into all this, but this is who you are. This is what we are doing in the world. But it's not just holy. Man, Peter knows exactly what he's doing. As he said, you are a holy priesthood. Not only are we called out, but we are a priesthood. And this tells us so much about the picture on the front of the puzzle box. It certainly told Peter's first readers a lot more than it probably tells us, and we should figure out what they thought they were reading. They certainly recognize these words. In verse 9, Peter, we read, goes even farther, casting a vision for his readers to understand who they are in, in Christ. They are a chosen race. They are royal. They are a holy nation. They are God's possession. If you have a, a copy of the scriptures open and you're in 1 Peter, if you could just turn back one page and see who are the people that Peter's writing to, like who is the audience for these words? As he is saying, you are holy, you're a royal nation, you're a holy priesthood, you're a chosen about among everybody, you're the chosen ones of God. Like who is it that's reading these words? So it starts, the, the book of 1 Peter starts, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God and the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience of Jesus Christ. These were a bunch of exiles in Turkey, in the Roman province of Asia, Bithynia, Cappadocia. These are people who could not look less like a royal priesthood, like a royal nation, like a holy anything. Certainly, they couldn't have felt that way. They would not look at you know, their state as exiles. They're not anywhere near Jerusalem where their ancestors are from. They're Christians. That's in various stages of legal or illegal, depending on who Caesar is at the time, there is no way they felt like, man, we are the conquerors. And Peter says, in Christ, let me tell you who you are. They maybe didn't feel particularly chosen. They felt more rejected. They didn't feel royal. They were struggling to get jobs. They might not even have felt like a nation. Like there are people without a nation. Certainly after 70 AD and the temple gets you know, torn down and Jerusalem gets raised, they probably felt like, yeah, we're people without a nation. So Peter wants them to know that's not actually true. In Christ, you are a royal nation. And in one sense, we're sort of all in that position. I don't know if you've had this experience, but we become believers and we start noticing that we don't quite fit into the rest of the world. We start noticing that the, the rest of the world thinks a little different, feels a little different, responds a little different, entertains itself a little different, has a little different ideas about hope and peace and joy. And we feel like exiles. Well, this is a challenge for us as well. Now you are a royal nation. You are a holy priesthood. So it's less about the shape of you, and it's more about the call to be who we were called to be. 
Peter's challenging his first readers. He's challenging us too. To not just see ourselves in light of the station we're in or in light of the, the culture, the way the culture might view us or the way we view the culture or even of our own opinion of ourselves, but rather to realize that in Christ we take upon ourselves the role, the mission of being a royal priesthood. So why does our sin matter? Well, because we're a royal priesthood. See, if you're a bunch of exiles, it might not matter. But our sin, the way we live, it matters well, because of our identity. Why do our marriages matter? Well, because we're royal priests. Why does our integrity matter? Why does our kindness matter? Why does the way we forgive people matter? Well, because of our identity in Christ. Again, Peter's first readers would have understood this very naturally because they would have known every word of the Exodus story. Let me read. I know I, I gave you two passages to, to have your finger on already, so let me just read this one to you. But Exodus 19, uh, 1 through 6, Israel is out Mount Sinai. And I want you to remember who Israel is at this point. They also are a bunch of runaway slaves at this point. And they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, and they are kind of waiting to hear, well, what do we do next? This is a people in need of an identity. Maybe they no longer feel like slaves, but maybe they feel like runaway slaves. And on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, this just happened three months ago. If it's happening today, let's see, May, April, March, this would have happened in late February. And here they are at the base of the mountain, still probably trying to figure out life. And they came to the will, to, into the wilderness of uh, Sinai, and they set out from, sorry, I'm uh, reading as I'm looking for where I'm reading, out, um, and they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called out to him of the mountain, saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. So this is going to be based on God's power, not their greatness, but God's power. And how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, so this is conditional. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession among all people for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So Israel was intended the whole time to be a royal kingdom of priests. Well, we should probably think about what it is that priests do. Priests administer at an altar. That's what they do. They work in the temple. They do sacrifices. So priests are the ones that represent the people before God. They work at the altar. They bring sacrifices on behalf of the people so the people can be in right relationship with God. So there's a high priest who does all the Day of Atonement stuff. And then there's the priesthood, and then there's the priestly tribe, and then there's the people. But then there's not only the people, then there's the nations. And Israel, the whole thing, was supposed to be the light to the nations so the nations could come streaming in. They might have a place in the temple courts as well. It was Israel's job to represent humanity before God, to be a source of light to the nations, to be a place where the nations might stream in. Not a fortress, but a lighthouse. 
So, these people need to hear this. You're not just runaway slaves. You are God's treasured possession. And, and your life, the life of your whole people is now holy, sacred, set apart for God's sacred purpose. So Peter then uses that same language to explain the church. Are you starting to get a picture of who we are? We are those who are supposed to be the light to the nations, so they too might stream in and have a place in the courtroom of God. We have been rescued not from Egypt, but from the kingdom of sin and death. We have a high priest. Jesus is our high priest, and we are the kingdom of priests. So our role is to make sacrifices. Our role is to make sacrifices that open up access to God for the nations. So, when I'm looking for what my role is, it's a little bit more than just, I like baseball and play guitar. But it's rather, there is this beautiful picture. <laughs> and I need to get on board. I need to find a way to be a part of this picture. And God might use baseball and the guitar. But it's going to come through my sacrifices. So I look at the weird little piece that I am, how I'm shaped, things I like, my personality, my life experiences, my family situation, my season in life, and I don't go, God, I need to find a place that I fit so perfect that I'm always comfortable and feel like I'm thriving. And rather, I need to go, God, how can I sacrifice so that I could get on board with being a royal priest? So now we have a, a glimpse of the role of the church. We can each take a better look at our role in the church. And it would just take a minute to to go back and look at, at Romans 12. Paul builds this argument that ends with each of us working faithfully in the church, but that can't be where the argument starts. It has to begin with God's mercy because if we start with verse, are you, are you in uh, Romans 12? All right, get there. And if you look at those lists, uh, uh, the list of of things to do in the church. Man, if you start there, well, that's exactly what we talk about at Lighthouse that, that we don't start our mission with. We don't start with, welcome to Lighthouse, get to work. Rather, we start with, welcome to Lighthouse, be loved. It starts with the mercy and love of God and it always does. But it does necessarily end with you and I finding our place in the big picture of God's grace and the redemption of the nations. So here's how the argument goes, and I'll try to be brief. In verse 1, uh, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, that should be brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we are the priests. We bring sacrifices. We no longer bring sacrifices of sheep and goats and birds and bulls, but the sacrifices we bring uh, are of our lives. Jesus was the once for all sacrifice. The atonement is complete, but we are priests and we present ourselves, our bodies as living sacrifices. Each of us need to be people of sacrifice because that's just what worship looks like. 
because there are zero passages of the Bible that say, and singing in the right key on Sunday morning is your acceptable act of worship. But rather, it is not an acceptable act of worship until we are bringing ourselves sacrificially before God. Then it goes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And isn't that what we want? God, where do I fit in? What would you have for me? What would I do? Well, it's not until you become a person of sacrifice that you can discern God's will for your life. What is good, acceptable, and perfect. So in light of living lives of sacrifice, we need to start with the way we think. Our minds need to move from the way this world thinks to having the mind of Christ. What we trust in, what we hope in, what we live for, what we find meaning in. They just can't match what they used to in, in our hearts. Dying to ourselves be, starts as a mental exercise. Now it can't stay as a mental exercise, but it does start there. The more we let God transform our thought life, the more, and you know, <laughs> um, Tim Keller passed away uh, uh, in the last couple days, and he's my guy. I, I, just, I, I just love Tim Keller, and so I was kind of YouTubing some, some uh, Timmy K as, uh, as, a, as a way to remember him, and, and, and spent about 15 minutes listening to him talk about the Bible and saying, look, you can't pray right unless you're knee-deep in this. You can't know what's true about you unless you're knee-deep in this. It is, this is how God is going to transform your mind. This is the power of God in your life, that you would be so, so deep into the Scriptures that your mind would, you'd start thinking God's thoughts instead of your own. As we do that, the more we let God transform our thought life, the more we'll be able to discern what His will is for our life. The more um, about your piece of the puzzle, Jesus will use. Verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as, one, uh, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So as our mind is increasingly transformed, we begin to see people differently. We begin to see culture differently. We begin to see church differently. We, be, we begin to see ourselves and the people sitting in the pews next to us differently. We, we, and I think it has a lot to do with resources. Because we all kind of start with knowing that the world is full of limited resources. Anybody come from a family of more than two children? Well, then you weren't going to get a hug at some point. Because there was a limited amount of hugs. And you had better fight for every one of them. There's a limited amount of love. There's a limited amount of mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving. There's a limited amount of beds in the house. There's a limited amount of everything. And that is still true. There is a limited amount of food and shelter and kindness and love in the world. And if that is true, then everybody I know is in my way. Unless they're a source of resources for me. You with me? Either I'm getting something from somebody or they're in the way of me getting what I need. 
That's why all of this has to start with the mercies and love of God. Because that is in endless supply. And if I know that no matter whether people are nice or mean to me, I have an unlimited supply of God's grace. I have an unlimited supply of forgiveness, an unlimited supply of God's love. Then all of a sudden, I'm not in competition with you. No, rather, I can start looking at the rest of you and going, man, maybe you're more important to my mission than I am. I shouldn't think of myself more highly than I ought. Rather, I ought to think of you more than I think of myself. You could only do that if you know that one of the biggest ideas of being a Christian is that you're going to be okay. That in Christ, you're going to be okay. In light of God's mercy, in light of the way grace abounds in our lives, He will provide all my needs. Other people aren't the source and they're not in the way. Then you might even begin to have some strange things about people like that. Like maybe they're more important than I am. Maybe God just didn't put them here for me. Maybe God put me here for them. Maybe we all begin to fit together like a healthy body. Not just so I can get what I want, but rather so God can be most glorified. So that the world can see this in all its glory. So my piece of the puzzle is not just about how I'm crafted. It's about the needs around me. It's about how can I address the needs of my brothers and sisters around me. So that's a lot of discussion leading up to the actual, here's what you do. With all of that as pretext and context, then Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. That word gifts and grace are very similar words, and they, they both mean very similar things. Just having the particular grace that God has given you according to the grace that God has given all of us, let us use them. And that's the call. Are you eight years old? Are you 208 years old? We use the gifts that God's given you. Are you here for a short time or here for a long time? We'll use the gifts that God's given you. Are you really good at churchy kind of stuff? Singing and, and praying and potlucking? Or are you not good at any of that stuff? Use the gifts that God has given you. Find a way, not just to find a shape that you fit, but rather find a way that you might be on the mission of being a royal priesthood. And then, here's a great list. You might see yourself in this. If prophecy, the proclamation of God's words, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. I can't tell you how important that gift is to just to take upon ourselves the role of exhortation. And you know, one of, the, one of the other reasons spiritual gifts tests are a challenge for me is that we can kind of think these are my spiritual gifts to the inclusion of all the rest. Some might go, I'm a real jerk, but I don't have the gift of exhortation. That's not how it works. We are all called to encourage each other. Some just have a special gift for it. 
But just being with Christian people and being an encouragement is such a gift. And if you've ever just been at church when you were sadder than anybody else knew you were and had a kind word said to you by a believer, you know how important that gift is. The one who contributes in generosity. Some people are gifted at meeting the practical needs of the church. That's the, that's the one that's easiest to go, well, I don't have the gift of generosity. Yeah, bring your first fruits. God, is, God has blessed you. But some have a special gift in caring for the needs of the church. One who leads with zeal. One who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We would expect for a healthy church to include all that stuff. Preaching, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, practical, t- practical care. You might not look at that list and go, I easily fit into one of those, uh, one of those categories. Like I kind of I, I, I maybe am jealous of the corner pieces. Just so obvious. They're easy to know where they go. You look at it and go, aha, we need that. Here we go. Or you get one from the middle that's weird colors and you go, it's going to take a while to figure out where this one goes. Which one of those is more important? If we're going to have the full picture, everybody has to be contributing. So instead of spending our time going, what exactly am I good at? Maybe we could spend our time going, what exactly is the mission of the church? And how could I get on board? Let me pray, and then we're going to sing a song that um, kind of declares that. Heavenly Father, thank you for just a wonderful congregation of people here. Lord, thank you for the love that you've shown us, that your mercies abound, that we have no needs, that in you we have everything we need for life and godliness. And so while life is still a struggle and things are difficult sometimes and, and it feels like there's not enough of 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 many things, Lord, in you we know that we have what we need. Lord, would, as we grow in confidence of that, as we grow in confidence of your mercy, and also as we see the picture of what it means to be the church more and more clearly, God, would you help each of us to find a way that we might be on that mission? And Lord, for Lighthouse, Lord, we just, we just pray that we'd be a faithful church. Lord, you know... Numbers aren't a big deal to us and, you know, popularity or fame, these are not things we care about, but Lord, we do want to be faithful. We do want to be healthy. Would you show us what each of our parts are in this being a community that does its job of shining your, the light of your glory to the nations? I love you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.